Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. Kind of asking for help makes me feel a little bit like a failure or weak and uh, I don't really like asking for help. And, and as I was, I was thinking about asking for help, I was reminded of a story that happened in Stacy and I's life maybe 10 or 15 years ago where we were hit with some emergency medical issues. And uh, we were transitioning from living in Illinois to the promised land, Texas. We were moving down to Texas. And uh, uh, because we had moved from Illinois to Texas, um, Of course, God's blessing was on us, but our insurance did not follow us down. And so we had an emergency, kind of a medical emergency there. And, you know, that pre-existing condition thing, and we're changing states. And so we had to write a new policy, and there was an exception to this. And so Stacy had some health issues and needed kind of an emergency thing, and and we had no insurance. And uh, the bill was well over $10,000. I don't remember exactly how much it was, but it was crazy, crazy expensive. And you know, we had no way to pay for it. We had no way to to make sure that this was going to be covered, and, and uh, we didn't have that in our savings at the time. And so I remember having to go, and, uh, you know, since I was 18 years old, I've never had to ask my family for anything. I left and joined the Air Force at 18, uh, made a lot of mistakes along the way, but never had to go home and ask for help, or, hey, can I live back here, or, you know, I don't know what to do, or can I have money, Mom? I've never had to do that. But I found myself in a situation where I needed 10 grand really fast, over 10 grand. And so I had to go and ask my grandparents. And uh, they were in their kitchen, and, you know, we went over there to visit, and I just poured out my heart. And I was so embarrassed. I mean, there were tears in my eyes, and my pride was shattered. And I just said, you know, I, I hate to do this, uh, but. Uh, you know, Stacy and I have no other recourse. We need to borrow ten thousand. Of course, my grandparents—they, I knew they had the money. They were super gracious and instantly responded, "Yes, no problem. Just tell us when you need it." And so we left, and and you know, went back down to Texas, and because they were in Illinois, and we left, and we we just had that reassurance. But once we got back to Texas, uh, we were really surprised because the church we were working at also became aware of what our situation was, and they paid the entire bill for us. And so, um, you know, but that act of asking for help, it just, I felt like I couldn't provide for my family. You know, I couldn't take care of my wife, plus the stress of the surgery and asking for help. It just, it, it can be crushing to your pride and to your independence. Now, maybe you have never faced a situation like this, and I mean, praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. But there may come a time where you really need help, where you really need the Lord's help, where you really need the church's help, where you really need your brothers and sisters' help. I would encourage you today, ask for help. Seek help. Ask the Lord. Because if you haven't faced that time of trial yet, Chances are, at some point, you will. Though I wish it on no one, at some point, you will. And you'll be counting on the kindness and generosity and mercy of others. 
Because this idea that we are completely independent and proud, this is antithetical to the gospel. We are to be humble. We are to be completely dependent people on Jesus. And as the family of God, we're to be dependent on one another. And ultimately, it wasn't my, even though my earthly family, my grandparents were willing to help me, it was my church family who immediately responded without even being asked to cover this. I mean, I would never go to my church where I'm employed and ask them for 10000 for a medical thing, you know. Uh, but they responded immediately. And it, I never, f- I mean, I've always felt part of the family of God, but that was a real evidence to me. That was a real demonstration that I'm family, that, you know, I'm one of them because they were willing to do exactly what my blood family was willing to do, and that's to take care of us and make sure that we were covered. It's often been said, rightly so, that no one comes to the cross standing. We can only come on our knees. One of the biggest things keeping people from coming to Jesus Christ is pride and independence. I can do it on my own. I don't need Jesus. Everything is going okay for me. You know, so far so good. Comparing ourselves to others and keeping that as our standard. But at one, one point or another, we've come to the place where we've been humbled. Now, some of us have still denied Christ. Some people have still said no to Jesus, but some have said yes. Because no one comes to the cross standing. We can only come on our knees. 1 Corinthians says this, To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the, is the wisdom and is the wisdom of God for the foolishness foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men the 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 foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men whatever you think you can do on your own whatever you think you can accomplish I want to tell you that with God you can accomplish that much more Let's pray together before we get into the message today. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are help in times of trouble. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness in our lives. We thank you for the faithfulness of our brothers and sisters. Lord, we pray today that you would speak into our hearts and to our lives as we learn to stand and shout, as we learn, Lord, to give you praise even in the most difficult of circumstances, in the face of the most... um, uh, the tallest and, and, and strongest obstacles in our lives, Lord. You are bigger still. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 8, we start, we'll read through 16, uh, 13, excuse me, today, and then we're going to skip around a little bit. Verse 8, before the men lay down, she, that's Rahab, came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and to Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Verse 12, now then, please swear to me by the Lord 
that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. Here, Rahab uh, is coming to these spies and making a deal. She's putting her faith in God. She knows that the God of Israel is real. And she's confessing as much by talking to the spies and making this deal with them. Now, she had heard of God's great work. She had heard the testimony. Now, how she heard the testimony, I'm sure rumor got around. And it's funny that this scripture does not mention the parting of the Jordan, right, as well, which we just saw last week, right, which they all would have heard about. But she had definitely heard of the God of Israel's power. She has understood that God is with his people. And to this point, she has only heard about God. She's only heard about God. She hasn't really seen with her own eyes the power of God. She hasn't seen all the things that the spies have seen. She hasn't seen all that Israel has seen. She's only heard about it. But she is responding in faith. She's responding in faith by, by, by telling the spies, look, I know that your God is God. I know that he is the Lord. She says as much in verse 9. I know the Lord has given you the land. And then she says it again in verse 11. The Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She's making a confession of faith. And this confession is not just words, but she is following it with action. She's putting all of her eggs in one basket. And she is telling the spies, look, I will help you hide so that you're not caught. You can bring a good report to, the, to Israel if you will promise my family is spared. She knows that every single, she knows the wickedness of her city, this walled city. She knows that every single person in the city is devoted to destruction. And so she makes this deal with Israel and says, look, if you, if, if you will just see that my family is spared, I'll make sure you get back to your people safely. So she's not just making a confession that Jesus, that the Lord, that the Lord uh, of Israel is the Lord God Almighty, She's making a deal because she knows that the Lord is the only one who can spare her. She knows this. She knew in her heart that God would give them the victory. And she knew that the only way for her and her family to be spared was to make this deal. Now, Rahab is affectionately called throughout this passage of Scripture, Rahab the prostitute. And I see I'm kind of cynical and have a dry sense of humor, and this strikes me as humorous. Because it's Rahab the prophet, all through scripture, um, almost all the way through scripture until you get to the lineage of Jesus, which we'll talk about in a while, you, it's, it's Rahab the prostitute. Hey, everybody say hi to Rahab the prostitute. You know, I'm sure at some point she would have liked to lose that moniker, you know? Uh, Rahab the prostitute. And I get it with Judas, right? There's two Judases in the New Testament. There's Judas Iscariot and the other Judas. Now, see, I get that. Right? Because there's not two Rahabs, there's two Judases. And so Jesus is introducing his friends. Hey, this is Judas. And the, 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 the other Judas is like, oh, I'm not Judas Iscariot. I'm the other guy. Right? I get that. Right? You need to differentiate between those two Judases. You don't want to be confused with that other guy. I get it. But Rahab, I don't get it. Why does it keep saying Rahab the prostitute? Rahab the prostitute. And it's the only reason I can think of why the author, why it's written in such a way, why God made a point to, to communicate this with us in, in this way is because it, it, it's going to, as we move forward here, it's going to just demonstrate the power of God to transform hearts and lives. 
that no matter where you come from, no matter what you've done, you are not outside God's redemptive work. And so Rahab the prostitute, not only did she cease to become a prostitute, but, you know, as we push forward here, her whole thing is going to change, but, you know, her testimony is not going to change. God brings us from places of darkness into light. And we don't forget the place of darkness. We may regret the place of darkness. And as we were talking in our growth groups, I believe it was this week, we were talking about our past, and everybody was pretty reluctant to share openly exactly who they were uh, before they became Christians, rightfully so. I understand that because there's some shame involved with that. We're not exactly proud of who we were before Jesus, especially me. And so without getting into specifics, we all realize that though we're not proud of those things that we did before we came to Christ, we understand that that plays a role in who we are today as Christians, that those former hurts God can use today to help someone else, that that what we've come through, we've come through stronger, and it makes us in some ways better, more equipped Christians to deal with certain trauma in other people's lives and help them walk that path as well. And so Rahab, the prostitute, put her faith in the God of Israel to save her and her family. And works flow from genuine faith, giving evidence that one's faith is real. The Bible tells us that faith without works is dead. And now we're not saved by works, but if you really believe something, you will act on what you believe. Amen. Many of you know, I've referenced, you know, before fishing, how much I like to fish. Now, I've got some, before I came to Germany, I had this lake in Texas uh, called Choke Canyon that I really like to go bass fishing in, and I had my spots. And when I went to these spots, I expected to catch fish because I had caught fish there in the past. And so when I go to these spots, these are my fishing holes, I'm going to catch fish. Now, one could argue I caught fish because of my confidence in the spot, right? You know, a lot of fishermen are like that. Like, well, you believe there's fish there, so there's fish there. Or just, I just happened to fall upon a spot where fish were, and I always caught fish in these spots. But I went there because I believed I was going to catch fish. Now, I never went out to the middle of the lake, to the deepest part where it's 40 feet, and thought, I'm going to catch fish. I never thought that, right? But because I believed there was fish there, even though I couldn't see them, I went there and I caught fish. I knew the fish were there. My actions were determined about what I believed, right, even though I never saw them. Here's Rahab acting on what she believes. She actually believes it in the depths of her heart, right? Of course, fishing is not the most perfect illustration, but we see this fishing illustration even in the Bible where the, the men are fishing in the boat, and they're casting their nets, and they're not catching anything, and then Jesus says, put your net on the other side of the boat. Now, this is ancient world, right? We're not talking about a 120-foot yacht. Like, there's a lot of difference. Like, literally, they're picking their net up, and they're probably walking over about five feet and putting their nets in the other side. I'm sure a lot of the fishermen were like, yeah, right, we've been here all day. There's no fish in this general vicinity, Jesus. But they do it because they believe Jesus is Lord, and they believe that what he's telling them is true, and they do it. And what, what happens? The catch of fish is so great, they can barely get the fish in the boat. And it's surprising that their nets are not torn. But basically, if all they had was head faith, right? There's like, it wasn't determining their actions. Would they, would they really have faith at all? No. See, faith causes us to act. If we really believe something, we'll do something. And in this way, we have evidence of our faith. Does this make sense? 
If we really believe God is our provider, he gives us everything, then we will have no problem living generous lives. Hello? We'll have no problem being generous because God is our source. He owns the cattle on 10,000 hills. And let me tell you, if you think you're a big tither, you're not. It doesn't. God has all the resources. He has all the resources. If we really believe that God is our ultimate healer, when the doctors say there's no hope, there's nothing we can do, we will pray and we will trust God. And I would say we'll even trust God before we go to the doctor, right? I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. I'm saying trust God even before you go to the doctor for healing and deliverance. We'll see that. But what we do comes from what we believe. So now we know Rahab had faith in action, and we knew she had faith because of her actions. Let's talk about the victory that Joshua receives and also that Rahab receives. So move to chapter 6 now. 6 verse 15 and 17, and then we're going to skip down to 20 and 21. Now there's good stuff in between here, but time does not allow us to go through all of this, right? About Joshua meeting with the angel of the Lord who's like a, uh, basically like Jesus there meeting with him, telling him exactly how to, how to win this victory, and he has a pretty unique battle plan. I'm sure that nobody at Sakaf draws up a battle plan like this, right? I mean, this is a very unique battle plan. It's basically walk around the city, and on the last day, I want you to yell, And you talk about faith and action. You got a walled city. You need to get through this city. Actually, God is commanding that you defeat this city, that you punish this city, that you're his arm of destruction in this city. And the way it's going to happen is you're going to march around it. And on the seventh day, the seventh time you march around it, you're going to yell. But Joshua is faithful, and he communicates this to God's people. And surprisingly, they're all in agreement. Uh, okay, that sounds fine. And so they, they do it. We have a very different Israel than that that was walking around the desert. Amen. It's funny how trials and tribulation will do that to you, how you'll come through on the other side different. Amen. And those who come out on the other side different come out better usually, right? Uh, it's those who continue in their stubborn, wicked ways that don't. But here we see blessing now following Israel as they walk in obedience instead of grumbling all the time. Because I'm, I, you know, I would like to see I'd be right behind. I'd love to say I'd be right behind Joshua. Like, yeah, let's do it. Let's walk around the city. And then on the seventh day, let's march. No, I'd probably be like, hey, Joshua, can we just take a couple M60s? And just in case, a couple grenade launchers and make sure that we got this covered. Uh, you know, and maybe I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd probably be that guy who's like, Joshua's lost his mind, all right? But verse 15 says this, On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on that day they marched around the city seven times. And on the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Verse 17, and the city and all that was within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, <laughs> and all who are with her in her household shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Verse 20, 
So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city, and they devoted all in the city to destruction, men, women, young, old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. Now, verse 21, some of you are like, whoa, right? This is war crime stuff. This is pretty intense. We need to understand a couple of things about this passage. Number one, God is ordering the destruction of this city. His judgment is coming upon this city. And while God has chosen to be patient with us today, right, he has chosen to be patient. Believe me, this is an example of his mercy and his grace. The fact that he does not do this every single day, right? Because the wickedness of his people is no less than it was in this day. Amen. We're still on our own, left left on our own to our own devices. We are wicked to the core. And that has not changed. You know, we see, you know, we talk about our culture and how it's shifting from to godlessness. Let me tell you, it started out godless, right? It's just shifting backwards to godlessness, right? And it's going to get worse. We know it's going to get worse. The Bible tells us it's going to get worse before the end comes. It's going to get worse. But we see God dealing. He's basically exercising judgment upon this city. And this foreshadows what judgment's going to look like, right? Because no one will escape this judgment, this judgment that will ultimately come. And those who have refused Jesus, who have refused the grace and mercy given to us through the atoning sacrifice of God, his substitutionary atonement through his son Jesus, they will face wrath. And this is what the wrath looks like. Complete and total destruction. Evil will be wiped out. Now, that's not easy to stomach, but it's not for us to sit here and think, well, I'm glad I'm saved. You know, I'm glad I'm here today, right? All those people on spring break going to hell. I'm just kidding. That's not true, right? And actually, that's not how we should sit back and relax. Actually, what it should encourage us to do is stand up and get busy, right? I mean, do you, do you really want to see? I mean, I, we read about Jericho many years, thousands and thousands of years ago being destru- destroyed, and it kind of makes our stomach turn a little bit. But all around us, people are being devoted to destruction, and we have a chance to save them. We have a chance to at least give them an opportunity to be saved. Amen. And by sharing the good news, by sharing Jesus, there is a way out of this judgment. There is, an, there, is a, there is an escape for us. And that escape wasn't free. Jesus took the punishment for our sin. But there's a way out. And so this, real, this realization that judgment is coming should not cause us, it should cause us to be secure in our own salvation, but it should not cause the Christian to be lazy. And we're all just sitting here waiting for the rapture or waiting for Jesus to come back. We should be busy preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus. Can you imagine the scene this day? They woke up early in the morning. That tells me that they were excited, right? It tells me they were excited. When something big's happening the next day, I have a hard time sleeping past 5 a.m. I'm excited. I'm ready to get up and handle it. But can you imagine hearing the, the plan, getting that briefing? We're going to walk around the city, and then we're going to shout, and then marching around the city, 
with this expectation, you know, three times, four times, five, six, and then the seventh time, the promise of the city being destroyed comes. And they shout the wall down. They shout the wall down. Now, as I was reading this week, I I just felt like the Lord uh, dropped this in my heart. Spiritual walls don't respond to the whispers of religious platitudes, but only to the shouts of ecstatic praise and worship directed towards the Almighty God, our Deliverer. Spiritual walls do not respond to religious platitudes, but to ecstatic, genuine praise and worship. And here we see Israel marching around the city, giving a shout. Were they tired? Yes, Were they probably sick of wandering the desert? Yes. But they believed that God was going to give them this city, and as a shout, and they offered up a shout of praise. They were obedient to what God had told them to do, and that wall came crashing down. Can you imagine feeling that? That wall come crashing down. What about being Rahab, the prostitute, in all of this? All around her, the city walls are falling. People are dying. People are screaming. And she's in her house with her family, wondering, will they keep their word? Is this true? Is this going to be my family screaming in a few minutes? Is this really happening? With the story of Joshua and the wall and the fall of Jericho encourages us to do is trust in God's plan. And if we will be faithful to do so, He will bring victory. Amen? Amen? He brings victory out of obedience. He brings victory out of obedience. And out of the most unlikely circumstances, God brings victory. There's nothing he cannot do. We talked about this last week. He made the rock. Tearing down a wall is no problem for him. Amen? Sometimes... We're just whispering religious platitudes, and we're hoping God will hear us. What we really need to do is start standing up and shouting and giving praise to God for the victory he's already given you. Let me tell you something. There's nothing that this world can take from you. You can lose your job. You can lose your retirement. You can lose your 401K. You can lose your children. You can lose your own life. There is nothing that this world can take from a follower of Jesus Christ. That will not be returned to you a hundredfold in the life that is to come. There's nothing, no treasure, no item, no thing, no created thing more valuable to the Christian than Jesus Christ himself. If that's not where you are, get there. Get there. Why aren't you there? Get there. That's the only place to be as a Christian. It, seriously, I, I, like this gospel to me is so simple. It's, yeah, there are complicated things in here. Sometimes it's hard to read. But this actual following Jesus, it's pretty easy. He is the God of the universe. He is supreme. He's all-powerful and all-knowing. He has chosen me. I'm not worthy. He's chosen to save me and call me friend. My whole job is to say, yes, sir, or yes, Lord, to everything he commands me. That's it. Your job's pretty easy. And that should take some responsibility off of you, right? 
But so many Christians get caught up. I must do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way down to Z. And then you're down to A1, A2, A3. There's so many things you think you need to do to follow Jesus. All you need to do is say, yes, Lord. Stand up and offer some shouts of praise for his victory in your life. Amen. Following Jesus is not complicated, but you just need to learn to say, yes, Lord. It gets a lot easier. Stop arguing with God. Stop arguing with the preacher about tithing. Stop, stop telling yourself you don't have to be water baptized. Stop telling yourself you don't have to literally follow Jesus. Like he didn't mean the Beatitudes. He didn't mean that. That's just a high set of ideals. He doesn't really mean that I be poor in spirit and I be merciful. He doesn't really mean that I should turn the other cheek and actually surrender all my rights in order that others might be saved. He doesn't really mean that. Just learn to say, yes, Lord. Your life will get a hundred times easier and the victories will come in. I, prom- I don't have to promise you. He promises it. He promises it. And we see it here in Joshua 6, through 25. We see faith rewarded. To the men who had spied out the land, verse 22, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there. Why can't she just be Rahab, man? Bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her. Well, at least the woman is better than prostitute. All as you swore to her. Verse 23. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her. This entire family was saved by Rahab the prostitute. And they brought all of her relatives and they put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron did they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. Verse 25, but Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Rahab the prostitute enjoyed God's mercy and grace, his mercy in her deliverance from judgment. Certainly, Rahab was also worthy of destruction. She was a prostitute after all. She deserved destruction, but in God's mercy, in response to her faith, she was spared. And it's by his grace that she was not only spared, but brought into a new family, a new family of God. And I'm reminded of how fearful I was becoming a Christian, leaving all of my life behind, you know? It was a little intimidating because when I became a Christian, I was radically saved. I mean, something happened in me that was undeniable. And I left my old life and I started from scratch because those old friends couldn't be my closest friends anymore. I couldn't hang out with them anymore. I couldn't do that because they were all doing the things Matt used to do. I couldn't do that anymore. I knew that. But I want to tell you, church, Many of you have experienced this as well. Some of you have bad experiences in churches. I understand that, you know, and there's, but you're here. So, you know, either you've gotten over it or wasn't that bad. It's one of those two things. But there was a lot of people outside these walls who have had bad experiences in churches and never went back. Now, as you can tell, I like cheeseburgers. Once in a while, I get a bad cheeseburger. That doesn't stop me from eating cheeseburgers forever. We have bad experiences in churches. People act like jerks. Guess what? They're sinners. Sinners act like jerks sometimes, and they're going to hurt our feelings. It doesn't mean we stop going to church altogether. Amen. Because in the church, I found a new home, and I found a new family. You, you 
are more my brother and more my sister than even my own blood relatives who don't know Jesus. You are the ones I'm spending eternity with. Unfortunately, not all my family is saved. Most of them not. I found a new family. I found new friendships. I found new relationships. Relationships that, were, that God had designed to build me up, not tear me down. Relationships that were going to make me a better person. And this is exactly what Rahab found. She left prostitution. She left her old life. Matter of fact, there was no going back to her old life. It was burned down. It reminds me of Elisha the prophet when Elijah came to him. He's out plowing the field, and he had two ox in front of him. And he's plowing this field, and Elisha comes and calls him. You know what Elisha does? He burns the plow, and he sacrifices the oxes on top of it. He's never going back. See, church, Rahab didn't have a choice to go back. But us, a lot of times we come to Jesus and we like to kind of dip our toes back in that old river. Like we like to move backwards a little bit. I'm telling you, the only place for a Christian to move is forward. And you move forward in the family of God. You have a family here who loves you. Are we perfect? No, but I bet your family's not either. <laughs> Somebody say amen to that, right? right? Our family's not perfect, but we're dedicated to one another. We get unhappy. We hear something we don't like. We don't leave. We talk it out. We work it out. At some point, I'm probably going to say something you don't like. Somebody in your growth group is going to say something you don't agree with. You don't leave. You don't bail and go find a new family. You work it out. You work it out together. Now, Rahab isn't just spared. She doesn't just find a family. She becomes the great great-grandmother of David. David, the king, who is the father of Jesus. Rahab, the prostitute, is in the lineage of Jesus. Isn't that crazy? Now, when Israel walked up that day, when those spies came into her house, I'm sure... She didn't think, I'm going to be in the line of the Son of God because of all this. And I'm sure the spies didn't think so. She was Rahab the prostitute after all. But God did something amazing in Rahab. It's called transformational power. Amen. And church, that power is very real today. God didn't just come and save you as you are. He, came, he, came to, he saves you as you are, but he doesn't leave you as you are. He's come to transform you. And I had this mentor in my life who would always tell me, look at things in a transformed way. Are you seeing this in a transformational way? Or are you seeing this as old Matt would see something, right? Are you reacting like old Matt? And I, I want to tell you, I revert to that from time to time. But I have to ask myself, if, am I seeing this in a transformed way? Am I seeing this through the eyes of Christ in me? Christ showers us with mercy and with grace. Romans 5.10 says this, While we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We were enemies. Make no mistake, you were an enemy with God, and, much and many of us much worse than prostitution. We spit in God's face. We dishonored him as his creation. But because he loves us, he saved us, and we are saved because of the death of 
Jesus. And by faith, we become his children, once enemies, now righteous sons and daughters. And we, are only, we only limit God by our disobedience. God, Rahab walked in obedience. She became, she, she, she walked into, through obedience, the lineage of Jesus this just illustrates that we have no idea what God is going to do with somebody. We, I mean, we could be ministering to the worst person imaginable. Like, I have a couple people in my life, I just think they are the, just the lowest human beings. Like, just, they're so depraved. They're so, their hearts are so dark. They are so evil all the time. And it's none of you, right? It's people I'm related to. And, and just... All the day, their heart is evil. But I know, and I pray for them, because I know that they're not too far gone, that God's arm is not too short, and he can still save them. And it's oftentimes those worst of the sinners that God saves and does the most with as saints. Isn't that what Paul said? I was, of all the sinners, I was the greatest. But God did so much through Paul. God did so much through Paul, and he was caused to suffer so much because Jesus told him, I will show Paul how much he must suffer for my name. Mm-mm. But God did something awesome through Paul. Much of us, Many of us are saved today through the ministry of Paul because he was faithful to go and preach the gospel to the nations. When we look at this story of Joshua, those of you who are commanders and leaders of men and women, you probably like to think, yeah, Joshua. Joshua's a leader, military leader, stud. But you and me and all of us are more like Rahab than we are like Joshua. We've prostituted ourselves. We've sold ourselves out. And it's only by faith in God that God is able to do anything through us. We are saved by grace through mercy. We're part of his family. And if you're losing hope for that family member who's not saved, who could be the most evil person, or you're working with somebody who is like that, you can't stand to be around them, do take my wife's advice. Pray for them. Pray for them. Anybody she's at odds with, she's praying. So you want to, <laughs> you get on her bad side, she's praying for you. She's praying for you. Because you can't hate somebody you're praying for. You can't be angry with somebody you're praying for. And when you're praying for somebody, God breaks your heart for that person. And you realize that they're not all that much different than you were before you came to Jesus. That they're just lost. They just don't know any better. If you're facing an insurmountable obstacle today, at least one that seems insurmountable, instead of complaining, instead of trying to figure it out on yourself, all by yourself, I would encourage you to do this. Stand up and start shouting some praise. Start giving thanks to God. I, I went to a, pr- a prayer uh, conference one time, and uh, this gentleman, and you've probably heard this before, you guys are smart people, but uh, I wasn't. And, and he said, you know, God has already promised so many things in the Bible. What we need to do is start thanking him for his promises. We just need to start thanking, and, 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 and I'm not a word of faith guy. I'm not like a, hey, your, your words have intrinsic power in themselves. I don't, I don't really believe that. I believe God is true to his promises, and while we should not doubt his promises, maybe not speak 
against his promises. I also don't believe that like you can just magically make things happen with your words. Uh, I don't believe that either. But I believe that we should affirm the promises of God and claim them as our own because his promises are true and everlasting. And not all of his promises, some of them are situational promises made to people like Abraham and Joshua, but some of his promises are enduring and last for all generations. His promise of healing in Jesus Christ, we should receive that. We should hold to that promise. We should thank God for healing power through the cross. We should thank God for that. We should thank God and give praise for the filling of the Holy Spirit. We should thank God for that. We should thank God that he has not left us as orphans. Is that a promise? Yes, it's a promise that he will return. We should receive that promise, and we should stand in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our obstacles, and we should stand and trust God for victory instead of trying to do it ourselves. Amen? Because you're going to get vict- You could probably win a lot of victories in things all by yourself. You could probably do, a a person can do a lot. I want to tell you, you can do more with God. You can do more and greater things with God. So get yourself in a position where you need him. And where you need him, start standing, start shouting, start giving praise to God and watch him win the victory. Amen. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.